which is the gift of God unto all those who diligently seek him. As as well in times of old as in times that he should manifest himself unto the children of men. For he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the way he is prepared from the foundation of the world, if it so be that they repent and come unto him. For he... For he that diligently seeketh shall find, and the mysteries of God shall be unfolded unto them by the power of the Holy Ghost, as well in this time, meaning his, and in times of old. And as well in times of old as in times to come. Talking about our day. Then on up to 187. And blessed are they who shall seek to bring forth my Zion at that day, for they shall have the gift and the power of the Holy Ghost. And on up to to 30. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld the power of the Lamb of God that it descended upon the saints of the church of the Lamb and upon the covenant people of the Lord who were scattered upon all the face of the earth. And then down to 237. Then at that day the work of the Father shall commence in preparing the way for the fulfilling of his covenant which he hath made to his people who are of the house of Israel. And then just part of verse 245, the things which were written were plain and pure. Now, like I said, this chapter has always impressed me. If you pay attention to it, in the beginning he talks about the Messiah. He mentions the Messiah eight times in a few verses. Then he starts talking about uh, the son of the everlasting God. He calls him that once. Five times, then he refers to him as the son of God. And a little later, he starts referring to him as the lamb of God. And he does that 28 times in this chapter. And then he refers to him just as the lamb. And he does that 25 times. So this whole chapter discusses our Savior throughout, from beginning to end. Just refers to him in different ways. Shall we turn in our hymnals to hymn number two? After we sing this hymn, Brother Harold Sharkey will offer the invocation.
Gracious Heavenly Father, we gather here once again this day, and we are thankful for this opportunity, for we have been blessed with thy spirit here in previous services, and we know, O Lord, that you will attend us as well this night. So we ask humbly that your loving spirit will touch the hearts and minds of each of us who are gathered And as well, we pray for our brother who will bring the message that you have placed upon his heart. We thank you for all the blessings of life and the many times that we have uh, received those and never acknowledged your your, your hand at work in those times. So help us to be always mindful of those many times that you enter our lives and give us the things that we stand in need of. And we pray that you'd always be with us and we'd be worthy servants of yours as well. And these blessings and favors we ask now and humbly pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. two scriptures uh, tonight to, um, to open up. The first one is Matthew chapter 3, verses 27 through 28. And in those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The other scripture is from Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 6, verse 4. Verily, verily, I say unto you, even as you desire of me, so shall it be unto you. And if you desire, you shall be the means of doing much good in this generation. Say nothing but repentance unto this generation. Keep my commandments and assist to bring forth my work according to my commandments, and you shall be blessed. Turn your hymnals to hymn 208, and we'll remain seated and sing this.
Well, good Abend and good evening. Good to see you all here today. Um, a couple weeks ago, let me see, three weeks ago? Three weeks ago. Been that long already. Uh, I had the privilege of worshiping with the saints in the Sanilac branch up in Elmer, Michigan. Uh, actually, it's probably, if, they, if you ask them, it would probably be Sandusky, Michigan, because Elmer, Michigan, I think, is a little town that consists now of that church and one other, and that's about all that's in Elmer. So um, it's a little group, uh, probably about, I think there was maybe no more than 20 people on Sunday when I was there, but they are, I think the spirits there, and they're hanging in there. They're holding holding fast to the faith, and um, we probably should pray for them at, at some point to uphold them. What I, that was kind of an aside before I get to what I want to talk to tonight. Uh, one of my hobbies is uh, movies, especially war movies. Now, one of the things that I have taken to doing is doing some research and <laughs> watching the movies, of course, but seeing which movies are accurate, historically accurate, and which ones not so much. So I've got a little list here. I mean, very little. I mean, uh, movies like Saving Private Ryan, the opening scene especially, very accurate. Band of Brothers, not really a movie. It's more like a miniseries, but still pretty accurate. Uh, das Boat, uh, Glory. Then there's some that aren't quite so accurate, like U-571 or Pearl Harbor or Enemy at the Gates. But one movie that struck me, and it didn't... I mean, I've seen this movie many times. And it's uh, Indiana Jones and the, and the Last Crusade. It's an action movie. It's not really a war movie, but an action-adventure movie. But what struck me was that, and this is going on the general premise that Hollywood is essentially uh, quite broken. Um, they, you know, they, they're almost becoming the, the enemy to what we believe in, which is kind of sad because I like to watch movies. But... Even, and this is an old saying that I use, and, you know, my wife said, well, you know, young kids aren't going to understand this saying when you say it, but oh, you people are all probably going to get it. And I say, even a broken clock is right twice a day. So when I'm watching this movie, the part that, the, the line that struck me, it really, you know, that got to me was when they're in the Temple of the Crescent Moon, and Indiana Jones is getting ready to go, you know, so he can save his father. And the first clue is, only the penitent man shall pass. And I started thinking about that, and my first thought was, that's pretty profound for Hollywood. I think they actually got that right. So let's, let's look at that a little bit. Now, I looked up the definition of uh, penitent, because that's, I don't think that's, we use, we use repentant a lot, we, repentance, repentant, repenting. Well, we don't use penitent that much, so I had to look that up. The definition I found was feeling or expressing humble or regretful pain or sorrow for sins or offenses. I thought, okay, well, that definition definitely fits for what I, for the, the, the message that's being brought to me. So my first thought was, okay, so the first step was to be, to be penitent. Now, okay, I've, okay I'm going to add a little bad humor here. An old German proverb, and uh, if my wife is here, she'd say, actually, it's, it's you, where you got it is a Japanese proverb. And it's like, okay, well, 
We'll say it's a German proverb. Um, the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. I thought, okay. So in the movie, the first task was to be penitent, because otherwise you'd get your head lopped off or other limbs. But that moved, but once you did that, you went on to the other two challenges, which was, again, you know, even a broken clock is right twice a day, walking in the, in the name of God and the word of God, following his ways, and then taking a leap of faith to reach him. Now, once you take that leap of faith, of course, um, that kind of reminds me of that old, uh, it's not old, maybe it's old, you know, it's relatively new to me, actually, the comparison of your ship having Jesus as your anchor. And when you're, you know, when you're in the bay, if you don't have Jesus as the anchor, you're going to probably, the storm will come up, you get smashed on the rocks or something, you know, or you tip over or something, your ship is going to flounder. And my addendum to that is that when you your ship is ready to set sail, you raise the anchor and take it with you. You bring it up close. That way you can go out into the world and do what your whatever your mission is. So as described in, in Matthew 3, we enter the waters of baptism, receive a remission of our sins as part of our covenant with God. That's the beginning. That's where we 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 become penitent, we seek God's forgiveness, and then we seek a covenant with him. We go into the waters of baptism. Now, the other scripture I read in the beginning was basically what I, why I'm talking about this tonight. It's because I'm a big believer in going back to basics. Well, I figure, you know, preach repentance unto Unto, you know, into this generation. Um, so we're, that's where we are tonight. From chapter, from Luke chapter 13, 1 through 5. And there were present at that time some who spake unto him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. I read this, and it... You know, several times, and it finally occurred to me that Jesus is mixing physical injury and death with spiritual physical and death. He's saying that, yes, these people had these unfortunate fates physically. That doesn't mean they were bad people. Because spiritually, they, you know, that's that's another matter. But he's also saying, if you don't, you know, repent spiritually, you will die like they did, or spiritually you'll die. So it's like I said, he's kind of mixing the two, but he's getting his point across. From the book of Matthew 21, 26 through 33. But what think ye? A man had two sons, and he came to the first saying, Son, go work today in the vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I'll serve, and went not. Whether of these 
twain did the will of their father. And they said unto him, the first. And I think Jesus was talking to the chief priests and the scribes and the, and the Pharisees. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and harlots shall go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness and bear record of me, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye afterward, and when ye had seen me, repented not that ye might believe him. For he that believed not John concerning me cannot believe me, except he first repent. Now this is, this scripture brought up a question within me that I'm also going to have to deal with in another scripture I'm going to read in, in a couple minutes or less. And that is, so the man had two sons, and the first one said, no, nah, I'm not going to do that, I don't want to. But then later on he said, you know, he, apparently his conscience got the better of him. He said, okay, yeah, you know what, maybe I better go and do that, you know. The other one said, yeah, I'll go. And then he just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And then he wandered off. I don't know, maybe he got distracted, maybe he got busy, who knows. But, you know, he seemed to be happy to do it, but then he just kind of didn't. And I said to my, I asked myself, so which of these two have I been at some point in my life? You know, um, in addition to be a husband and a father, I'm also a son <laughs> um, to, you know, my mother and uh, my father, God rest his soul. Um, and I thought about it and I thought, you know, at some point I think I've done both. I think at one point I was asked to do something and... I said, no, no, I don't want to do that. And then later on, I felt bad. And, you know what, I better go do that for dad or for mom or whatever. And that's, you know, that's, I really should get that done. And then there have probably been times in my not-so-better moments when I said, yeah, I'll go do that. And then, I don't know, I don't, who knows what I ended up doing. I didn't do that. And that's not a good thing. Um, I can't think of specific examples of each one, and I'm not sure that's really important right now, but... Um, yeah, at some point I think I've been both. And again, like I said, that leads me to my next uh, scripture from the book of Luke 18, verses 10 through 4. Two men went into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. But the publican, standing far off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other, for everyone who exalteth himself shall be abased, and he who humbleth himself shall be exalted." Now, once again, I had to go and look up some definitions for this scripture because these are words that I read over and over again in the scriptures, and yet I've never really, you know, had never been totally clear as exactly what they mean. So, the definition of a publican, a Jewish tax collector for the ancient Romans. Okay, that's pretty straightforward. So, basically, a, um, in later vernacular, a collaborator, a sellout. Um, you know, okay, so we go on to the definition of a Pharisee, a member of a Jewish sect of the intertestamental period. That's okay. Uh, noted for strict observance of rites and ceremonies of the written law, 
and for insistence on the validity of their own oral traditions concerning the law. So, okay, so we've got, we've got the supposedly good, very righteous um, Pharisee person, and we've got the publican, the collaborator, the outcast. But once again, the question came up. In the past, which one have I been at different times? And once again, I, to be in the best, honest frame with myself and with my God, I answered that at one point in the past, I have been both. There have been times when I have focused way too much on other people's sins, and I don't look enough, you know, kind of like the, the moat and the, and the beam type of thing. Yeah, way too much of that. And then there's times when I have been humbled so much that I've just been down on my knees crying and praying to God, please forgive me. Please be with me. Those are tough times. But it's, like I said, I've, at some point in my past, I've been both. And um, I'll, you know, I'll tell you right now. Uh, now, another good example of the the repentance idea is from the chapter. I'm sorry, the book of Mosiah, chapter 11. And we're going to go. We're going to start at 159 through 162. Now the sons of Mosiah were numbered among the unbelievers, and also one of the sons of Alma was numbered among, among them, he being called Alma, after his father. Nevertheless, he became a very wicked and idolatrous man. And he was a man of many words and did speak much flattery to the people. Therefore, he led many of the people to do after the manner of his iniquities. And he became a great hindrament to the prosperity of the church of God, stealing away the hearts of the people, causing much dissension among the people, giving a chance for the enemy of God to exercise his power over them. And now it came to pass that while he was going about to destroy the church of God, for he did go about secretly with the sons of Mosiah, seeking to destroy the church and to lead astray the people of the Lord, contrary to the commandments of God or even the king. So the first, those first chapters are setting it up. The, uh, the son of Alma and the sons of Mosiah were, they were, ad- I mean, I, I put on here, they're adverse to God. They were setting themselves up as the, the enemy. Why? I, 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 we don't know. Um, we, we, you know, there's, we, I, I'm not, I guess I'm not going to try to explain that, what their motives were exactly. Um, some people would say, well, who are they working for? You know, well, you know, were they receiving money? Were they receiving favors? Were they, I mean, who knows? But there it is. That's what they were doing. Next, 163 through 176. And as I said unto you, as they were going about rebelling against God, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto them, and he descended as it were in a cloud. And he spake as it were with a voice of thunder, which caused the earth to shake upon which they stood. And so great was their astonishment that they fell to the earth and understood not the words which he spake to them. Nevertheless, he cried again, saying, Alma, arise and stand forth, for why persecutest thou the church of God? For the Lord hath said, This is my church, and I will establish it, and nothing shall overthrow it, save it is the transgression of my people. 
And again the angel said, Behold, the Lord hath heard the prayers of his people and also the prayers of his servant Alma, who is thy father. For he has prayed with much faith concerning thee, that thou mightest be brought to the knowledge of the truth. Therefore, for this purpose have I come to convince thee of the power and authority of God and the prayers of his servants, that the prayers of his servants might be answered according to their faith. Now behold, can ye dispute the power of God? For behold, doth not my voice shake the earth? And can ye not also behold me before you? And I am sent, a, and I am sent from God. Now I say unto thee, Go and remember the captivity of thy fathers in the land of Helam and in the land of Nephi. And remember how great things he has done for them, for they were in bondage, and he has delivered them. And now I say unto thee, Alma, go thy way, and seek to destroy the church no more. Tell their, tell their, that their prayers may be answered, and this even though, if thou wilt of thyself be cast off. And now it came to pass that these were the last words that the angel speak, spake unto Alma, and he departed. So Alma got a visit from an angel. Now, um, Reading this, I must confess, it made me chuckle a little bit because, you know, quite often we hear about God speaking to us in the still small voice. And um, normally when we pray sincerely and we come unto God with our prayers, that's how we hear him. However, Alma, uh, obviously God needed to get his attention. This was an attention getter. So the still small voice maybe wasn't going to work in this case. So... You know, the stronger method was used. Now, why would this be used with the son of Alma and not with other people who have maybe done the same thing or similar to the same thing? I don't know. Uh, God handles every person individually. He'll handle, you know, each one of us and each one of everyone in his own way. But apparently this was the way he wanted to get Alma's attention. 177 through 184. And now Alma and those that were with him fell again to the earth, for great was their astonishment. For with their own eyes they had beheld an angel of the Lord, and his voice was as thunder which shook the earth. They knew that there was nothing save the power of God that could shake the earth and cause it to tremble as though it would be part asunder. And now the astonishment of Alma was so great that he became dumb, that he could not open his mouth, yea, and he became weak that he could not move his hands. Therefore he was taken by those who were with him and carried helpless even until he was laid before his father. And they rehearsed unto his father all that had happened unto them. And his father rejoiced, for he knew that it was the power of God. And he caused that a multitude should be gathered together, that they might witness what the Lord had done for his son and also for those that were with him. And he caused that the priests should assemble themselves together, and they began to fast and pray to the Lord that their God that he would open the mouth of Alma, that he would speak. And also that his limbs might receive their strength, that the eyes of the people might be opened to see and know of the goodness and glory of God. So as part of Alma's, what ultimately became his repentance, it it, a lot of it fell on the prayers of his father and the prayers of others and their faith that God would would do this for them, that he would return, turn this person around. And instead of making him an enemy, making him, making him not just a friend, but a, uh, a servant and a, and a faithful follower. And now 185 through 189. And it came to pass after they had fasted and prayed for the space of two days and two nights 
The limbs of Alma received their strength, and he stood up and began to speak unto them, bidding them to be of good comfort. For said he, I have repented of my sins and have been redeemed of the Lord. Behold, I am born of the Spirit. And the Lord said unto me, Marvel not that all mankind, yea, men and women, all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people must be born again. Yea, born of God, changed from their carnal and fallen state to a state of righteousness, being redeemed of God, becoming his sons and daughters. Thus they become new creatures, and unless they do this, they can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. I say unto you, unless this be the case, they must be cast off, and this I know, because I was like to be cast off. So in the end, he repented, and he testified of all that God had done for him. From the second uh, letter of Peter, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. But concerning the coming of the Lord, beloved, I would not that... I would not have you ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise and coming, as some men count slackness, but long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, when I was getting this ready, I didn't know if I was going to include this uh, scripture in it. I read it once, and then I read it a couple times And I thought, well, you know, is this going to, I don't know if I want to use this. And then something occurred to me. Basically, what what this scripture is saying is that you have a God who is, and I I looked these words up to make sure I got them right. He is omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, he's everywhere all at once, and he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful. So this... Our, this mighty God who has infinite power and ability, infinite knowledge, and can be everywhere all at the same time, he still cares about whether each one of us repents and comes to him. He doesn't lose track of us. He doesn't, we don't get mixed up in his bureaucracy. He doesn't, you know, there's not like a filing error where, Oh, well, you know, oh, yeah, Scott, I was going to talk to him. I was going to try to get him to repent, but I, you know, the guy who was supposed to do that didn't, you know, wasn't there that day or something. No, no, this doesn't happen with our God. He's, he cares about each one of us. He knows where, he knows all about us, and he knows whether or not we are truly seeking him or not. And he cares. Like I said, he's all powerful, yet he, yet he cares. Each, about each one. I find that remarkable. That must be not just infinite power and knowledge and, you know, presence, but it must be infinite love too. There must be just a a massive amount of love that we can't even comprehend, which is good for us. That's, That's a good thing. From Revelation chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. So when we're chastened, we are still loved. And, of course, we know that from, uh, you know, from how many 
lessons and sermons uh, from the past Mother's Day, Father's Day. Our loving parents, you know, sometimes, yeah, they're going to have to correct you. And, but they do that because they love you. And our Heavenly Father is no different. But it's all part of the preparation for us to be, to be repent and come unto him. So we can fulfill the work that he has for us. Because he has work for every one of us. From 2 Nephi, chapter 6, 48 through 49. And he commandeth all men that they must repent and be baptized in his name having perfect faith in the Holy One of Israel, for they cannot be saved, in, or, or they cannot be saved in the kingdom of God. And if they will not repent and believe in his name and be baptized in his name and endure to the end, they must be damned. My main takeaway on this scripture was the key word being perfect. Not just faith, but a perfect faith. So you can't, you can't uh, stand there and say, well, I, I'm pretty sure that God loves me and that he's out there and he's watching over me. No. you got The faith has to be perfect. But first you have to repent and come unto him and, and, and make the covenant with him. And then you build up to that perfect faith. But eventually, yes, you do, you know, like I said, the takeaway there is it has to be perfect. And that's strong words. I mean, that's, that's you know, uh, that's tough, but it's necessary. I pray that all of us and really all mankind can receive an awareness of the need to come unto God and desire to have him dwell in our hearts and minds. Speaking for myself, I can't speak for anyone else, but for myself, the process of repentance is ongoing and I'm sure will last um, the rest of my mortal days. But it has to be done to be connected to God. Because in the end, only the penitent man shall pass. Thank you and good evening. As Scott talked about his love for war movies and things. I couldn't help but think last week was Veterans Week, as Ed mentioned this morning. And uh, we had to go south for a few days, Pat and I, and decided to go by Branson. And if you're familiar with that area down there, there's a school a couple miles south of Branson called Hollister, where the College of the Ozarks is. And it's called Hard Work U, meaning the kids literally have to work 15 hours a week and two weeks, I think, in the summertime. And when they get through, their degree is paid for. Uh, through labor, they make all kinds of things to sell, and they have a dairy, and you name it, they've got it. But with Veterans Week being there, there was literally tens of thousands of veterans in Branson, and uh, in the hotel where we were staying, we had a elderly couple right next to us around the corner came by one morning. Bert and Bertha, right, were their names. Bert was 93 years old, almost 94, and he was a vet from Korea. It started making me think. It had been a few years since I'd seen a vet from World War II. 
they were pretty much can't come anymore or have passed on. And he was telling us he drove up from Texas and he thought this might be his last trip. He wasn't sure he could do it anymore to drive up, but they liked coming up and being there with the veterans and talking with young people. And one of the things the college has done is set up a park they call Patriot Park. And they have basically five different type memorials in there. And one of them is the uh, Vietnam Wall for the, those that died from Missouri. And there's, what, a little over 1,200 people's name on that wall. And two of those names we know are from Jackson County here. We went to church with them. They were pets in my age. They didn't make it home. But they fought for our freedom. And many have that we might worship here today. Years ago, I was superintendent of a tool and die department and machine shop. And when I first went there, I knew I had this toolmaker working for me that limped pretty bad. But I didn't know why. Nobody told me. And one day I saw him walking up to the mill, and you could just see the expression on his face. He was hurting, so I got a chair for him to sit on because he was at a machine. And normally, Pat can tell you, when I taught this at college, I wouldn't let anybody sit down. <laughs> it's dangerous. But I got to talk to him, and uh, finally one day, Bill opened up to me. He was in World War II, and he was at Pearl Harbor, and he was on the Oklahoma And he wasn't going to get up for breakfast. And one of us, because they'd been out drinking and partying the night before. And one of the guys kept wanting him to get up. And he finally decided, well, I'm not going to get any sleep. Cookie made good pancakes on Sunday morning that they all liked. So he was going to go up for that. And he talked about how out on that deck waiting for the flag. And the Japanese Zero came in. The torpedo hit the Oklahoma. And, of course, gunfire and everything else. He was injured and shot in the hip. And one of his buddies, because the Oklahoma started capsizing immediately, helped him swim to a little island, and they sit there watching the whole thing. Couldn't do a thing. But he basically said he survived, came home, and he was a drunkard. Because of what he'd gone through, he drank a lot. But for some reason, he met a young woman who was a member of this church. And she married him, even in his condition. And worked and sobered him up, quit drinking. And he actually worked, believe it or not, with our church through the auditorium with other church people that had Alcoholics Anonymous problems. And changed his life. But two or three others I've got to know. And what they went through. That we might be able to worship this evening in peace. So we need to remember our servicemen. We don't know what some of them went through. I have an uncle I know that fought in World War II. 
and I knew he'd gotten injured, and I knew he'd been in quite a battle. And it really wasn't till what he wouldn't talk about it much that he'd won a medal. That's a bad way of saying it. He got a medal for what he did. But basically, he was fighting the Japanese, and everybody else had died. He was the only one left, and he'd been fighting all night. And he thought he was going to be dead come morning because he had no more ammunition. And the last man that was alive with him had been injured and was in the hole with him. He passed away. And he thought, well, that's it. And he heard soldiers coming. Well, thank heavens it was American soldiers. But these men sacrificed for the privilege that we have in his house. Shall we turn to him, 207? After the singing of this, Brother Steve will offer the benediction.
And we pray that whatever sins we have in our lives, that we might repent. And we pray that you'll give us the strength and the power to repent. And we're also reminded of the sacrifice that's been made for this country and for our freedoms and our rights. And we'd add to that the sacrifice that's been made for this gospel. And pray that we too might sacrifice and that we might, I might pay that price, whatever price you ask of us, and that our hearts might be right with you. Help us to love you, to serve you, and to be obedient to your commandments. And bless us in this coming week that you'll be with us and watch over us and guide and watch over us in times of trial and temptation. And pray that you'll bless each and every one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.